do. So the first question officially, as I got it from the website, is this. What happens to babies or even young kids when they die? And we got several of these, so I really wanted to spend some time on this one, okay? Because maybe it doesn't directly affect you, and maybe it does. Um, But we need to be clear on the answer. So here's kind of where we stand, and this is very important what I'm about to say, okay? So everybody up here with me. I believe, so what happens to babies or, or young kids, like toddlers and, and down, nursery kids, right? When they die, if they die suddenly or if something happens or if it's a long extended illness, what happens to them? I believe that they go to heaven, okay? I believe they go to be with the Lord, but this is so huge, okay? I believe they go to heaven not just because I think that in my heart, okay? Not just because I think that in my heart. And we have to be so careful here because the immediate response of, you know, what happens to babies when they die? The immediate response is, of course they're in heaven. Okay, but why? Why do you believe that? Well, because I know in my heart that a loving God would never do, really? So you speak for God now. It must be really cool being a prophet in high school. That's a lot of pressure on you that you have to deal with. Um, Here's the problem with what you said. I like what you said, but here's the problem with what you said. In no way have you mentioned the Bible. Does that make sense? You've answered this question, and in no way have you shown me where it is in Scripture. And as followers of Christ, that is the key. You're doing the exact same thing as when people say, I'm going to sleep around because I know in my heart that God wants me to be happy. Do you, though? Or, I know in my heart that a loving God will still accept me into heaven even if I'm actively living a homosexual lifestyle. I know he'll still love me and accept me into heaven because I know that in my heart. Well, you can't say that. Okay, but that's exactly what you just did. Are babies in heaven? Yeah, they are. Why? Well, because I know that they're... You're doing the exact same thing. I know in my heart that... Listen, so did Hitler... Right? Hitler was very sincere in his beliefs, and he shaped the entire Eastern Hemisphere. Did you hear? Let's, let's bring it down for a second. Did you, did you um, see in the news, like, because I know you guys are in the news all the time, like a week and a half ago about Taylor Swift had this, she was in New York, and this, like, stalker broke into her house, and, like, she was gone, but he, like, used her shower, and he, the, the police caught him asleep on her couch. Like, that's how he got arrested, Right? But this guy, listen, this guy knew in his heart that he and T-Swift were, were supposed to be together, right? You see? This is where the problem comes when you think it in your heart, and that's the only thing you use. Does that make sense? It's okay to think things in your heart. Look at me. It's okay to think things in your heart. It's not okay if that's the only thing you use, all right? Um, And this is the case for all of these things, infant mortality, tattoos. Uh, We had a lot of questions about suicide, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Don't go with your best guess. Fill your head with Scripture. The Bible is closer to your generation than anyone else's. Fill your head with Scripture so that your best guess can start to lean towards the Bible. Does that make sense? Don't go with your gut. Influence your gut so that it will begin to lean towards the Bible. Fill your head with Scripture. Go to the Scripture. So what does Scripture say about infant death? What does Scripture say about infants dying? First thing that is so important. First thing to understand, infants being sent to hell 
is not mentioned in Scripture. Okay? Infants being sent to hell is not mentioned in Scripture. Nowhere. And this is so key because, you know, think about it. In Jesus and Paul's day, right, 2,000 years ago, there was no infant care, right? There was no prenatal medicine. Roman society would throw, you can, I mean, you can read about this in any history book. Roman society would throw babies into the street because they were deformed or because there were too many females and a male was needed to carry the family line. So this question came up, right? This question came up. And how interesting that in one of the biggest atrocities of that day and age, there is no mention in Scripture about infants going to hell. That, right off the bat, should provide some comfort in this area. And what Scripture does say provides even more comfort. So, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. And I'm going to kind of go a little quick in this, but it's on the podcast too. Deuteronomy 1, 39. The Lord says this, And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it instead of you. Here's what's going on. You have the Israelites, the people of God in the Old Testament. Remember Moses, Exodus, and the plagues, and he frees these people? That's the Israelites. They're coming to the promised land. But these Israelites have disobeyed God. And God says to the Israelites, because of your disobedience, you're not getting in. But your children, they who don't even know the difference between good and evil, they get to go in. You're kicked out of the land because you did evil, but these children who, now follow this, these children who were with you when you committed the evil, who watched you commit this evil, they get to go in. But why? You're kicked out because you committed evil, and these kids don't even know what good and evil is. They're still too young to understand what that even means. They're going to get the land. Now listen, these children are still sinful. Children does not mean unsinful. They're still selfish. They still get angry when they don't get what they want. Babies never do that, right? Babies in Israel did that just like babies in America do. And God knows that. God's no fool. God knows that. But he's saying they, and this is huge, they have not actively, consciously disobeyed me like you have. I gave you the Ten Commandments. These kids don't know the difference between good and evil. They can't even count to ten yet. They can't comprehend what's going on. So they are not punished by God. Does that make sense? And this is important because this is where I would also lump in the mentally handicapped. This is a question we get a lot. Now, little kind of a caveat here, little side road here. That's what caveat means. There are levels of being mentally handicapped, right? Had a good conversation with my mom about this, not because she's mom and Celia knows everything, but because she's worked with special needs for over 30 years, right? And there are special needs students who know exactly what don't hit him, don't touch that means, and they do it, right? They deliberately disobey. There are even special needs students who know that they're special needs, and they use that to get out of things. So there are levels. Special needs does not mean automatic entrance into heaven. And I'm not trying to paint all, of course not all special needs people do this. My aunt is special needs. Anne is my dad's age, so Anne is probably like 62 at this point, right? But she has the mind of an eight or a nine-year-old. There are levels of this, but the mentally handicapped who can in no way comprehend what's going on around them, who can in no way comprehend the consequences of their actions or even the, or even the actions themselves, 
I would apply this rule to them as well. They are counted innocent before God. Now, of course, there are little nitpick things that I'm not going to answer in that. There are difficulties in that that I don't know. We have to trust God and his mercy and wisdom. And this text doesn't answer everything. I'm not saying this is the only one we're going to go to. But it's a good place to start, okay? Babies, toddlers, the handicapped, according to Deuteronomy 1, we just read, God clearly makes a distinction between those who are emotionally and consciously aware of sinful things and those who are not aware of those things. And those who are not aware, he doesn't hold it against them. God is saying, these kids in no way understand what's going on. So I'm not going to hold them accountable for what's going on. Does that make sense? That's what God is saying. You've done evil. They don't even know what good and evil is. So I'm going to hold them innocent in this situation. This point gets made even deeper in Jeremiah 19. So Jeremiah 19, verses 4 through 5. This is what God says. Jeremiah 19, 4 through 5. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence, they have built in the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind. Okay, God is addressing the people of Judah in Jeremiah 19 for their sins, specifically the sin of child sacrifice. They would... Um, They would burn their children as sacrifices to their God, this false God. And did you catch it? God calls this child sacrifice. They have filled this place with the blood of innocence. Now, this is why this is important. These children who were burned by these Israelites are the children of sinners. These these Israelites are not believers. No Christian would burn their kids. So these people are not Christians, and yet God still says, your children are innocent in my eyes, which is so huge. So the key to salvation is not baptism. The key to salvation is is not anything that you bring to the table. It's totally dependent on God's mercy. And then here's the big one. If you have a Bible, flip over to 2 Samuel 12, because we're going to spend a few minutes here. This is the big one. This is David and Bathsheba, okay? So you got David and Bathsheba. David has an affair with a married woman named Bathsheba, probably because of her name, I guess. She becomes pregnant with his child. David has her husband killed on the front lines of war to cover up his own guilt. And God knows about this. And so as punishment, God takes their newborn away from them. The baby has become sick, and David goes before the Lord in prayer to ask for the child's life. So... 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 through 18. 2 Samuel 12, 15 through 18. All right, let's see. So Nathan went into his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Bathsheba bore to David, so that he was very sick. David therefore asked of God for the child, and David fasted and went into lay on the ground all night. The elders of the household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. So the child has died. 
And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to David, and he didn't listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? So David is begging for the life of this child. He's so distraught and miserable that his servants think, if we tell him that the child's dead, he's going to become unglued. He's going to lose it and maybe harm himself. So this is how miserable David is while the child is sick and alive. Then we get into 2 Samuel 12, verse 19 and 20. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David discovered that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is my child gone? And they said, He is dead. So David got up from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came into his house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. So this is a weird reaction to finding out that your child has died, right? Your baby has died. He hears that the child is dead, and that's when he pops up. He finds out the child has died, and that's when he worships God, changes his clothes, probably for the first time in a week, and then he eats. You know like when you're so miserable you don't want food and that sort of thing? David is now doing better. Let me put it this way. David is certainly not acting like someone who knows that his child just entered hell. Look at 21 and 22. Then his servant said to him, What are you doing? Which, exactly, what are you doing? While the child was alive, you fasted and you cried. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. Here's what David says. Here's why he's doing better. David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows, maybe the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Here it is. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David says, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. This is David we're talking about, right? Okay, help me finish something. Psalm 23, right? David says, And surely the goodness of the Lord will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Yeah, I kind of expected a, a bigger one than that, but that was fine. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knows where he's going when he dies, right? This is David. David knows where he's going, and he says, I'll see my son again. For David knows that the parting between him and his baby boy is only temporary. This is only possible if the baby is with the Lord because that's where David says he's going to be. Job 10 says the same thing. Ezekiel 16 says the same thing. Revelation chapter 20 verses 12 and 14 tell us those who are in hell are in hell because of their active disobedience to God. Romans chapter 1 says these people are without excuse. Listen to what John Piper says. Because I don't think little babies can process nature and make conclusions about God's grace, His glory, or His justice, it seems to me that they would fall into the category of still having an excuse. So those who are grown, those who can morally and emotionally be responsible for their actions, they are without excuse. But babies and toddlers don't have these abilities. And so they still have an excuse, and God shows them mercy because he is awesome. I want to recommend a book to you. 
Uh, I know summer's coming up, so you can't wait to read. Um, it's called Safe in the Arms of God by a guy named John MacArthur. Safe in the Arms of God, and it is about babies dying and the biblical backing for why we believe that they are actually in heaven. So this is awesome news, okay? Now, let's talk about tattoos. Here's the question that we were given. Um, I'm just going to read it to you. We were, and it, and it, it makes some good points. Uh, we were not born with piercings, tattoos, and gauges. Nice. So does that mean that God does not approve of them? Even a simple ear piercing or even makeup does God consider it a sin to wear makeup because women are covering the face that he made? All right. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it's the one, you, you know it pretty well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, says this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, right? And we all get our Awana medal. Whatever you, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, do everything for the glory of God, right? Everything. Does that mean that like when you drive down the road, you should like roll the window down? I don't know if you still, some of you, some of you do, but like, like do you drive down the road and like you put the hand, you put one hand on the wheel, one hand, because you're praising Jesus, like the whole, throughout the whole commute, like you, sorry officer, I don't know what you want me to do, like you're talking to him with a still up like this. Um, so is that, because you're doing it all for the glory of God, right? Okay, Does, is that what that verse means? Well, everything you do, do it for the glory of God. No, this is what, because you'd be dishonoring God, because you'd be, you'd be dangerous. Um, it means, it means that God needs to be the filter and the center of your life, right? He's the focus of it. He needs to, so of course you don't have to walk around like this all the time. But in your heart, God needs to affect, look at me guys, God needs to affect the TV shows you watch, the way you play sports, the way you interact with others on the band or in theater, the way you have, God needs to impact your free time. God needs to impact how you act at school, how you do your work at school, and God needs to impact you at work. He needs to be the filter for all of it. He is the center of your life if you call yourself a Christian. If you don't, that's something that I'm, I'm just saying, this is how that looks for Christians. He needs to be the center of your life. There is no biblical passage that says tattoos are good or bad. So it's easy for people to say, well, the Bible isn't really clear on this. I would disagree. I would say that the Bible isn't crystal clear on whether or not you should get a tattoo, but the Bible is crystal clear on how you should live. Make sense? with God at the center, which means with his word at the center. Now, not what your heart tells you, right? What God's word says should impact what your heart tells you, okay? So here we go. Romans 13.1, couple of, couple of big red flags at first, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty, okay? Romans 13.1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. As long as it is, so as long as it is biblical, you are to obey the laws of the government. Make sense? 
As long as it's biblical, you do what the government tells you. Um, I tried to read the Georgia State law, and I didn't understand it on this one, so I contacted my cousin. Uh, A lot of you guys know Russell Reed. Uh, Russell and I are good buddies. We're also related. Uh, Humble brag. And Russell is a SWAT guy, so he knows the deal. Russell also has a ton of tattoos, so we had an awesome conversation about this. Uh, And this is basically what the state law of Georgia says, right? So big red flag number one, okay? No. Until you're 18, even with parental consent, if you're not 18 and mom and dad are cool with it, the cops still aren't cool with it. Does that make sense? So the answer is no until you're 18. That's the first one, right? But I'm 15, and I really feel like it would improve my witness. No, it wouldn't, because you're disobeying the Bible. And this is a huge thing. So this is the second one. The fifth commandment, Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother. Proverbs 13, a wise son heeds his father's instructions. Ephesians 6, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do you get what I am saying? If, if mom and dad are not cool with it, you don't get one. If you're, now, here's what this means. If you're under your parents' house and they say no, then God is telling you no. Okay? Does that make sense? God is telling you in his word to obey your father and mother. But, but man, I just, and you're like, oh, here it comes. I just, I really feel like God is leading me. To, nope, he's not. He, listen, now this is a huge thing because this applies to more than just tattoos. He, now hear me. He won't tell you to obey one commandment if it breaks another. Does that make sense? Um, Kristen and I talked about this and she said like, you know, if, if you feel like it's, if you feel like a tattoo is going to help your witness, I say get one, which is something we'll talk about in a minute. But, but here's the deal. If you are under your parents' roof or you're under 18 and you feel like the Lord is leading you to get one to help your witness, he's not because it's going in direct violation of his word. Does that make sense? This has to be the filter. This has to be where you start. If you get a tattoo in violation of this, it actually hurts your witness, right? Uh, another easy one. Ryan, I just really feel like I'm supposed to, I don't think anybody in here sounds like this, but I really feel like I'm supposed to date this guy. Okay, well, tell me about him. Well, he's not a Christian. Then you're not really led to date him because 2 Corinthians 6 says you're not supposed to date an unbeliever. Don't yoke yourself with an unbeliever. Zemix and yoke is not like there's eggs involved. Like yoke is like the thing, two oxen, and they're pulling together. That thing that holds them together is a yoke. If one's pulling this way and one's pulling this way, the rainy season's gonna come. You know what I mean? Like you're not gonna get it done. So this is the deal. You can't follow this command. God's not gonna lead you to do this if it's in violation of the Bible. Make sense? There's the first part. Now, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Under your parents' house or not, 18 or 45, ask others for counsel before you do this. And this is one of the things that Russell and I agreed on. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise listen and add to their hearing and let the discerning get guidance. This is to those of you who like you can't wait until you're allowed to get one. Wise people ask for help regardless of the decision. Proverbs 18.15, The ear of the wise asks for knowledge. So if you're wise, you're actually asking other people for the answer. In America, we think if you don't know the answer, then you're stupid. But according to the Bible, if you don't ask for the answer, that's what makes you stupid. Does that make sense? If you don't seek counsel, and here's the thing, 
And this applies to anything in your life, especially when you're talking to your parents. When you ask for counsel, be willing to listen. When you seek advice from others, you ready? When you seek advice from others, go looking for advice, not support. Those are two different things. And this is what I mean. Don't ask for advice and they tell you something that you don't want to hear and then you get mad at them for it. That just shows that you were really looking for support, not advice. So you really don't care what the wisdom is. You're still listening to yourself. And one of the other things, that, and this is what Russell said, and again, Russell loves tattoos. He's going to get more. He's already got plenty. <laughs> um, he says this, what these kids need to understand is this is a big decision. It will be with you your whole life. Take it from me. If you're too immature, whether you're, whether you're 28 like me, whether you're 29 like Kendra, whether you're however, you know, I got you girl, however, whatever it is, whether you're 18, 20, whatever, follow me. If you're too immature and irresponsible, look at me. If you're too immature and irresponsible to seek wisdom before you do it, you don't need to get it. Regardless of how old you are, regardless of your life experience, regardless of God's call, if you're too immature to seek wisdom before you get it, you're too immature to get it. Does that make sense? I'm not saying you have to do whatever they tell you, but if you don't go to someone before you do something that impacts the rest of your life, you don't need to get something that's going to impact you the rest of your life. Does that make sense? Here's the ones that people always go to. Uh, Leviticus 19.28, which says, Don't cut your bodies for the dead or put a tattoo on yourself. I am the Lord. This is why that doesn't apply to us anymore. Um, this is the ancient Israelite time frame. Unbelievers back in those days, pagans is another word for a non-Christian, they had brutal gods who would require them to get these huge tattoos all over their bodies as a sign of worship to, the, to these false gods. You follow me? God is saying through this commandment, and it's actually amazing because God through this commandment in Leviticus is telling the Israelites, don't do that because I'm not like that. I created your body. I don't want you to damage it in pain and, and think I'm the one that's telling you to do this. And it was also horribly unsafe. And that's one of the things Russell and I were talking about. And you guys know, there are still sketchy places to get a tattoo, right? If there are sketchy places to get a tattoo in 2018, can you imagine what it was like 3,000 years ago when this thing was written? It's God's way of saying, take care of your body. Here's one that I found while I was researching this that I thought was really cool. Isaiah 44.5. And this is the one you can use on mom and dad. Isaiah 44.5. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Here it is. Still others will write on their hand, I belong to the Lord. It's a tattoo. And will take the name of Israel. God is talking about bringing Israel back to himself. It's a sign of complete devotion. Some people will do this as a sign of complete devotion to me. It was a showing of complete sellout of belonging to God, getting this tattoo on your hand. The idea of someone doing that, now this is for those of you who are looking at getting Christian tattoos, okay? Which, which again, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't do that, okay? There's not. The idea of, of in Isaiah 44, 5, right, like they did it, the idea of someone doing that for fun or for a like on social media would probably get you kicked out of Israel, Okay? 
These inscriptions were incredibly serious. They took a ton of work and even more pain, and they never came off. You didn't have to do that, but if you felt the need to use this practice to show your devotion to the Lord, you could. But that was the key, your devotion to the Lord. There is no biblical basis that people can say that means you can't get a tattoo. There's not. And you're not going to hear me say that. I am never going to get a tattoo, and, but that's a personal thing, okay? Uh, and if you come asking me for one, I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. But I am going to use the Bible to see if you obey the law of the land, if you're still under your parents' roof, and if you're mature enough to get something that will impact you the rest of your life. Make sense? So please don't go out of here saying, Ryan doesn't think we can get a tattoo. Not that you sound like that, but don't think that. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying you got to be mature about this one, okay? A lot of people are not. And if Christians can't separate themselves on whether we should have ink or not, we need to separate ourselves in how we go about it, okay? You don't have to have one. You don't have to get one. But you do need to be mature. That being said, let's look at makeup and piercings, which I, as a 28-year-old male, am an expert at. Um, okay, John Piper has this awesome thing, makeup and piercings, right? John Piper has this awesome thing, here it is, called undistracting attractiveness. Okay, undistracting, doesn't distract people, attractiveness. Hey, that's okay, undistracting attractiveness. It means this, taking care of your body, now think about this in terms of piercings and makeup, Taking care of your body without idolizing it, okay? Taking care of your body without idolizing it. 1 Peter 3 says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. Unfading beauty, the unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So, your beauty should not be outward always. It should be inward. That's the big thing. That was written for women, but it applies to both. It applies to the fellows too, myself included. There is nothing, here we go, there is nothing biblically wrong with getting an ear pierced or having makeup. The Bible is clear that beauty is something to be celebrated. Song of Solomon 4.7, shout out to Mingling of Souls. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no blemish in you. So he sees his girl, and he's like, wow, and, he, and he's all about how attractive she is. Not, not her, she's a nice person. He, he thinks she's super hot, and that's okay. Isaiah 62.3, you will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. Not just a, a regular crown, a crown of beauty. And this is seen as a good thing. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. So beauty is something that's, that's totally okay. But the Bible also says, Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. 1 Samuel 16, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So you've got these verses that love beauty, and you've got these verses that say, be careful about beauty. How do we put these two together? The Bible is clear that beauty is to be celebrated and enjoyed, but not worshipped. How much makeup is not something to measure. It's something to meditate on. It's not about a certain amount on or off. It's about taking it before God and saying, like, I obviously have li very little experience with makeup, but there are little things in my life that I look at and I get frustrated with and been out of shape, and I'm like, what? I am spending way too much time worrying about this. Does that happen to you a lot, right? 
Does that happen to you a lot when it comes to your appearance? Maybe that's something that you need to bring before the Lord and start meditating on. I'm not saying you've got to get rid of it or whatever, but that is something that you need to bring before the Lord and start thinking about if it's really becoming a problem. With piercing, ask yourself, is this something that is going to get in the way of people seeing Jesus in me? Is this something that's going to get in the way of people seeing Jesus in me? And then the other one, is this something that Jesus would go with me when I got it done? Is this something that Jesus would go with me when I got it done? We are drawn towards things that are beautiful. Makeup is fine. Piercings are, are, are fine. But remember what Peter says. The beauty, here it is, listen. The beauty that pulls people into who you are should not be mainly external. Let me say that again. The beauty that pulls people into who you are should not be mainly external. Of course that's going to be part of it. Of course you're attracted to the person that you want to talk to. That's how we're wired. That's normal. That's fine. We were wired for, be- for outer beauty to get our attention. We were not wired for outer beauty to keep it. We were wired for outer beauty to get our attention. But we were not wired for outer beauty to keep our attention. And when we try to use outer beauty to keep someone's attention, or as guys, we focus only on outer beauty to keep our attention, it leaves you empty, unsatisfied, and superficial. And you miss out on any real relationship the way God has designed it. Proverbs 31, follow this. Proverbs 31 and 1 Peter 3, the two things that we read, they both said beauty fades. Muscle definition fades. Athleticism fades. If outer beauty was designed to help us over the long run, then outer beauty would endure over the long run. It wouldn't fade. There's a reason that what's inside of you endures and what's outside of you doesn't. Enjoy it while you have it. I love, I think ice cream is like the cool, I could eat it, it's, it's, it's bad. Like I could eat so much and just not even worry about it. But like, you enjoy it for a while, enjoy it while you have it. Ooh, it's gluttony, okay. Enjoy it while you have it, and then when it's over, it's over. Outer beauty is the same thing. It's meant to be celebrated and enjoyed. But listen, listen, not worshipped. And you know when you're worshipping it. Okay? There's a reason that what's inside of you endures and what's outside of you doesn't. Celebrate what's on the outside. And again, parents are huge here. Follow what they say. But celebrate what's on the outside. And thank God for what's on the outside. That's fine. But remember, undistracting attractiveness while you have it. Celebrate beauty without worshiping it. Make sense?